0: Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys and to see you this morning. We've been journeying through the I am statements, and there are many opinions about who Jesus is. A lot of people have different thoughts on who Jesus is, but for the past several weeks, we've been looking at what Jesus has to say about himself. So, If you have your Bibles, meet me in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, because that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today as we look at one of the most provocative claims of Jesus as he claims to be the way to God. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty and matchless son's Jesus' name. God, thanking you for your word. God, I pray that you would speak to us today. Move me out of the way. God, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of. God, speak to your people. You know what they need. You know where they are this morning. It's in your mighty and matchless sons, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. The Way by D.A. Carson. I am the way to God. I did not come to light a path, to blaze a trail that you may simply follow in my tracks and pursue, my shadow like a prize that's cheaply won. My life reveals the life of God, the total sum of all he is and does. So how can you, the sons of night, look on me and construe? That my way is just another world for you to run. My path is Gethsemane, the cross, and rejection draped in agony. My way to God embraces utmost loss. Your way to God is not my way, but me. Every other guide is blind. Every other map is flawed. I stand alone. I am the way to God. Jesus made many claims about himself, but few are as puzzling or provocative or, dare I say, as polarizing as Jesus' claim to be the way to God. 92% of Americans would agree that Jesus was a man that actually lived but the idea that Jesus is the way to God, it is troubling for some. And so if that's you this morning, if you're on the fence about that, I just want to encourage you to stick, stick with me as we walk through the text this morning. Some of you might truly believe that Jesus is the way to God, but you need some assurance this morning, and I pray that God's word would give you some assurance that Jesus is who he claimed to be in his text. As we come to the word this morning, John chapter 14, verses one through six, the mood is heavy. Jesus is preparing to die, and he's preparing his disciples for his departure. He knows that soon he will be arrested and put on trial and sent to the cross to die for the sins of the world but his disciples are, are afraid. There's a lot of uncertainty in the room because how can Jesus, who we've put our trust in, who we have given up all things for, how can this man leave us? If you're a disciple, you're probably thinking, you're probably thinking, man, I've trusted in this man. I've, I've believed in this man. I've been rejected by my family for this man. I, I've, I've left behind my livelihood and my profession for this man. And now he's about to He's about to go away. So there's confusion in the room and uncertainty about the future in the room. Have you ever been there where God is calling you to take a step of faith and to trust him with uncertainty, with, with, with the unthinkable? Maybe the unthinkable has happened and you're like, Jesus, what is the way forward I've been there last year, 2021, when my father passed away. I was in such a place of darkness where I was like, God, what is the way? What's the way forward? I have to raise my my daughter, my first child, without my father. I have to do holidays, Christmas and birthdays without my father. What is the way forward? And friends, when we come to such a place in life of confusion and uncertainty, often God does not give us a map or a prescription, but often God gives us himself. And that's what we're going to see in John, John chapter 14, verse 1. Speaking to his, to his disciples, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He knew that they were afraid. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is putting himself on the same level as deity, as God. He says, you believe in God, you believe in me. If you see me, you see God. Jesus is making a claim to be God, and this is, to, this is meant to comfort his disciples, this man that you have trusted in, this man that you have left all things for, this man that you've been following—your leader, your master, and your friend, Jesus Christ—he he is saying to these troubled and broken-hearted disciples that He is God. But it's, it's, it's amazing to me that the same words that were meant to comfort also offend. And so these words that were meant to comfort his disciples also offended the religious leaders of the day, which is the reason why he is about to be crucified. And so for some, the claim that Jesus is God causes them to rejoice and to lift their hands and surrender. Because my King, my Savior, my Lord, Jesus is God, the maker and sustainer of all things. And that, that causes some to rest and have peace. But for others, that causes them to ball up their fist in resistance and say, how dare you make such a claim? Some people think this is an arrogant claim. And so for you this morning, does that, does that claim of Jesus being God, does, does that cause you to rest this morning? Does that cause you to have peace this morning? Does it cause your heart that might be troubled by the issues in this world to find some relief this morning? Or, or, or does that offend you this morning? We're, we're brought to a point of decision by such a claim. Jesus continues to encourage his disciples. John chapter 14 continues. He says, "'My Father's house has many rooms.' If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be, to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Most people believe that Jesus is talking about heaven. Jesus is talking about heaven right here. He's going to prepare a place for his disciples, for his followers, for those who have placed their faith and their trust in him. Jesus is preparing heaven. Eighty percent of Americans agree that heaven is an actual, literal place. So most people believe that heaven is a place. Now there's been some, some bad PR and advertising for heaven. You know, I grew up watching cartoons and heaven was a place where you sit on a cloud and you're a little chubby baby and you got a little halo over your head. You just play harp for all eternity. That doesn't get, <laughs> that's not too exciting. I'm not looking forward to sitting on a cloud and playing a harp for all eternity. That might be your thing, but that's not my thing. But thanks be to God, the Scriptures gives us us some clarity on what heaven is going to be like. I I would rather look at what the Bible has to say about heaven than my cartoons, my lunatunes that I watched growing up. Let's look at what we can expect in heaven. This is a beautiful future that those who have placed their faith in Christ. There's a beautiful future that we have to look forward to. Heaven is God's dwelling place, Psalms Thirty-three, thirteen 13 tells us that. God is going to be there. Friends, if God is not there, then it's not heaven. God is going to be there. Heaven is the place where the person who created you dwells. Heaven is God's dwelling place. It's where Christ is today. When Jesus ascended to heaven, it says that he was going to sit at the right hand of the Father. That's where where Jesus is today. You'll get to see the one who died for your sins face to face. Let's continue. It's where Christians go when they die. Paul tells us to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So one day, we'll, we'll be there. It's the place where God's people go when they transition from this life into the next. It's the Father's house. We just, we just saw that. It's, it's going to be a place of refuge, a place of rest. Have you ever been somewhere that when you got to that place and you sat down at that table, if you, and when you laid down in that bed that you were just like, I can finally rest? That's what your Father's... House is going to be like a city designed and built by God. I love architecture, I love cities. As a matter of fact, we're getting ready to go on our anniversary trip this week. We're going to Chicago, that's my favorite, it's like one of my favorite places. The architecture is so cool, right? You have all these great cities around the world that have been built and designed by man, but this, friends, will be a city built and designed by God. God, nothing on this earth that man has created will be able to compare. And also it will be paradise. When Jesus was with was with the thief on the cross, he said, "Today, today you will be with me in paradise." No more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness, no more doctors appointments. No more bad news. Because we will be in paradise. What will we do? We won't just be sitting around playing the heart. What will we do? just want to look at that as well. What will God's people do when we get to heaven? We will worship without distraction. Oh, we'll be so caught up in the object of our worship, that we will worship without distraction. You will be zoned in and glued into the person of, of God, and we will worship without distraction. We will serve without exhaustion in that place. We will feast in fellowship without fear. Let's continue, and, we, and you will learn without fatigue. There's so much to learn and know about God. And you will rest without boredom. That's what we have to look to one day. And Jesus is telling his troubled disciples who still have to live in this fallen world. And that's what he's telling you and me, that he's going to prepare such a place for us. And then all of the doubters raised their hands at once and said, but I still got a million questions Still got a million questions. I mean, what am I going to do? And am I going to have to delete my Facebook there? Is there going to be ice cream? Will I have a belly button? Will I get to meet Moses? Will there be a long line to meet Jesus? All right, so all of these questions, and oh, yeah, oh, yeah, how, how do I get there? That's the big one that we ask. How do I get there. And that's what one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, asked. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Thomas was always honest. I look forward to meeting him one day. He always had all of the the questions. And this this is a point of confession. You know, Jesus is laying out that I'm preparing this place for you, that I'm going away, to this place, and, and Thomas raises his hand and says, Jesus, I, I don't know how to get to this place. We don't, even, we don't even know where you're going. We're confused. My daughter is one, and she's doing this thing now where she like hunches, her sh- <laughs> hunches her shoulders in and, and confusion and acts like she's asking a question. So she's like, duh, duh, duh. that's her thing. <laughs> that's her thing. Now she wakes up, wow. And that's like in her language, whatever language that she speaks, uh, that's her way of saying, uh, "I, I don't know." And I think that's what Thomas and the disciples are saying. What? What? You you leaving? A, a place? What? How do we? How do we? How do we get there? And some of us might be there this morning. And someone were, were to ask you, "How do you?" Get to heaven. What's this, what's this thing about heaven and this relationship with God being the way to heaven? What's, what's that about? And some of us might be like, do, do, I, I don't know. And some of us might have some stronger convictions, but Jesus makes that clear for us. He speaks for himself. John 14:6. Jesus answered, I am the way. <laughs> Imagine that. Someone says, I don't know the way. Show me the way. He didn't pull out a map. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is, this is one idea. The way, the truth, the life. It's, it's communicating one big idea. And the one big idea that those three phrases are communicating is this. That no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. It's kind of a kind of a a line in the sand. And he's saying, I am the way. There's not this path or this this thing that you have to do. But Jesus is saying he himself is the way to heaven. He is the way to the Father. And I just want to engage some of the questions that usually come up with this. Some people might say, well, why does Jesus get to be the way? There's a, there's a lot of great religious leaders and, and scholars and thinkers and politicians who, who, who've had some good ideas about life and morality and, and how we should live. Why, why does he get to be the way? There, there's some good people who have some good ideas and good ways, and maybe we can make Uh, our own world better? and Why do we have to think about that world to come? And to that, I want to speak to that. And humbly as I I can, I want to speak to that, not in a condescending way, but I just want to say that the condition of our world calls for us to have more than just a good teacher. As we look at the condition of the world as we know it, we don't just need a good teacher. We don't just need... Morality. The world as we know it needs a savior. According to the scriptures, sin entered the world and something called the fall took place. That's where man's relationship with God began to erode. Creation as we know it began to erode. Our relationships with our fellow man began to erode. And now we're in such a condition that we don't just need a good teacher or good rules or good laws, but we need someone to rescue us and to rescue this world. It does not take a PhD in theology to look at our world and say, man, something is off. Something is off. Broken we have diseases that can 't be cured, we have communities that are in unrest. we have global scale issues that the brightest and the best can 't figure out and that 's just the global scale stuff we 're not even talking about us <laughs> as individuals, like the world out there has all these issues, but if we look in the mirror, we have our own challenges, our own brokenness uh, jeremiah seventeen nine Uh, tells us this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So the world is broken, but even if I look at myself in the mirror, I am broken. The the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who Who can know it? Why does a person throw away their family and, 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 and the people that they love for an affair. Because the heart is wicked and deceitful. Something in the heart says, that is more important than everything else that you have. <laughs> and the heart is wicked and deceitful. What makes a person look in the mirror and, and, and hate what they see? Because the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Um... What, what makes a person look down on another individual? Because the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. The heart is so wicked and deceitful that I can look in the mirror and hate what I see of myself and also look down on you at the same time. That, that, that's how wicked and deceitful the human heart can be. And friends, we don't just need good teaching, good morality, good laws, and good rules. We need someone to rescue our world, and we need someone to rescue us. And that's where Jesus steps in. When you look at the world as we know it, it's so broken that you might say, only God himself could, could fix that. And that's what Jesus says. He says, I am God himself. And I step into that broken world to bring restoration from the inside out. 2018, I was in a car accident. I was driving home. I was about two, three minutes away from home. And I had a green light. And I'm sure it's the same here in Michigan. I, as it is in Tennessee, but we have a green light, that means you can keep going. I think that's how that, that works. So I had a green light, and I think I was supposed to keep going. The other car had a red light, and as a matter of fact, it was driving the wrong way on a one-way street, so it shouldn't have been driving that direction at all. I'm driving straight, I got my green light, and I noticed that this car isn't going to stop. I was, I was in, a, in a Jeep, which they... They are prone to flip anyway. I'm sorry if you sell Jeeps. I love Jeeps. I'm not trying to mess with your business, but Jeeps can flip. And I got hit in the back of my Jeep, and I flipped. And I was headed towards a brick wall by God's grace. I got stopped by a sign. Um, The car kept going. That whole thing happened. But I I, I got out of my vehicle, and I thought to myself, well, I got insurance. I'll be able to get this. Fix and I'll be back on the road in no time. I got a few pictures of it. Top flew off, door flew off. We we can keep scanning. Uh, so the, the 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 car was looked at, and they said, "We're not going to fix that. Your vehicle is totaled. It's totaled. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna touch it." My insurance company considered it totaled. If you're familiar with the with that process, when a vehicle is totaled. It's when your insurance company looks at your vehicle and says, either it's not worth it to us to fix, or, or it's just not business, it doesn't make good business sense for us to fix. It's just a bad investment for us, and so we'd rather not touch your vehicle. Because of the condition of your vehicle, we considered it totaled. We're not going to touch it. When we look at the world as we know it, Left to human devices, the world is totaled. Like humans can look at the state of our world and say, Well, we can't figure it out, we can't do it. Or some people might look at it and say, uh, I, I, maybe I could, I think I could do it, but, I, but they're not able to. The only person that is willing and able to bring the restoration job that our world needs is Jesus Himself. He looks at lives that appear to be totaled. He looks at people and places that appear to be totaled and he steps into it and considers it worth it and says, I'm going to do the restoration job on something that the world has considered dead, void or obsolete. I actually can do it. And some people might be willing, but they're not able. Jesus is the only person that was willing and able to bring about the restoration that our world truly needs. He is God in the flesh. We have situations that only God can handle, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what makes Jesus different from every other religious leader that has ever lived? Every other major world religion operates according to a scale, and this is how that scale works. If you want to have favor with God, your good deeds need to outweigh your bad deeds. This is how every other major religion, and this is how most secular schools of thought operate as well. That somehow, way, I do my good deeds, and my good has to outweigh my bad. And as long as my good outweighs my bad. I'll have favor with God. I'll be able to go to heaven. God will be pleased with me. But God forbid if I do some bad, I don't know. I don't I don't have assurance anymore. I don't know if I have God's love anymore. And our and our, and our relationship with God can feel like this. Like I don't know how he feels about me. I I, I have no assurance or no hope because I did a bad thing and well, I think I gotta do a few more good things to make it balance out. And we're never quite sure. If we operate according to this, we're never quite sure about how God feels about us or whether or not we'll get to experience eternity with him. And this is how most major religions and non-religious schools of thought operate. But Jesus offers something different. The scriptures say, even our most righteous deeds are like filthy rags, meaning that we can't earn our way into favor with God because God's standard is too high. And so let's just, let's just stop that game all together. The scripture says, for the wages of sin... Is death. Because we still have sin, somebody has to deal with this sin. Like somebody has to die for sin. And Jesus steps into the picture and says, I will die for the sins of the world. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And Jesus says, I will remove your sin. And what do we get? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He doesn't want you to be teeter-tottering back and forth. If you are one of his followers this morning, he wants you to have blessed assurance that you are his, that you are one of his people, and he has paid the price. He, he, he He couldn't love you more or love you less. You're not your best day, and you're not your worst day. You are his child, and he has wiped your slate clean. And he just calls us to place our faith in him. And he says, I am the way. You're not judged by this. One of my, one of my favorite uh, artists uh, is a pastor as well. He, he has this phrase, and I'll leave us with this. And this is what we have to look forward to. He says, new heavens... New earth, that's where all of his sheep dwell. Jesus succeeded in every part of life that we failed. He died the death that we couldn't die and paid our price with three nails. He began the work and he promised in the end that all would be well. He already beat his enemies and when his kingdom is realized, All of those who opposed him will see Jesus through some real eyes. Deliverance is offered to us. The hero, he is urging us. Salvation is exclusive to his people who have turned to trust. If you have not made the decision to turn to trust him, that's always open and available to you. He doesn't want you to be teeter-tottering back and forth wondering whether or not you have favor with God and if you're one of his people, he wants you to have blessed assurance. I just want to pray for us. Father God, come to you in your mighty son's Jesus name. And I want to pray for the person this morning, God, who is is stuck teeter-tottering, immorality, Wondering whether or not they're known and loved by you. I pray for that person, God, that they would enter into your presence and take that seat at your table to accept your invitation this morning. I just want, I want to pray with that person. If that's you this morning, just repeat after me. Jesus, I repent of my sins. I, I give up my attempts to please you with my works. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.